It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. From Labradoodles to Cronuts, the world loves a hybrid. So today, businesses are taking a smarter hybrid cloud approach using the tools, platform, and expertise of IBM. The world is going hybrid with IBM. Visit ibm.com slash hybrid cloud. I'll tell you what, the two young guards... Redmond had a, uh, or I should say, uh, Westerman had a good first quarter. Redmond's moving bodies around in the second quarter. Why the hell weren't these guys playing earlier this season? They're moving people out there between the tackles. This is the Locked On Bengals podcast on a Tuesday. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for tuning in. Joe Goodberry coming up in 60 seconds. You heard Dave Lapham there. We're going to dive into that because, well, Dave's right. And we've seen this with Marvin Lewis teams, and it's ridiculous. We'll dive into that in just a second with Joe Goodberry. On Twitter, at James Erpine, at LockedOnBengals. Subscribe, iTunes, the iHeartRadio app, Megaphone, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This, if you're new to Locked on Bengals, it's simple. My goal, every single day, give you an in-depth look at the Bengals. And as always, we're joined by Joe Goodberry. He's on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry, Joe why in the hell would it take so long to play Westerman, to play Alex Redmond? This team, this coaching staff, they do this every single year, whether it was with Rex Burkhead last year, this year with the offensive line. It's like they stumbled into Giovanni Bernard out of nowhere. I don't trust this coaching staff to play the best guys, Joe. Yeah, and it's funny because we. Uh, I feel like if you're on this side of the fence of you know, the argument that the Bengals don't evaluate their guys correctly, or if they do – they have too much loyalty to their veterans. And, and I think those are great arguments because we've seen it. It's been a long time. It's been 15 years with the same head coach. Um, this isn't just, you know, what you perceive as what's going on. Even if you don't have inside information or, or reports to back it up, it just there's enough evidence out there to, to say they lean on their veterans for far too long, past their use, um, and they don't give the backups who could potentially be better players uh, the, a fair shake, a fair opportunity to prove it. And, and um, you know, I've kind of gotten in arguments on Twitter a little bit of, for people to say, well, it's, you know, it's just this year. They, they, they took Bullock over Elliott and then decided he was better. Or it's just this year that now you can see that, that finally uh, Westerman had a chance to play. But it's not. Like you said, it's Rex last year, Rex Burkett. Um, it, it, it was Evan Mathis and Nate Livings. It's just there's a lot of times where a backup could have been playing. It could, it could be William Jackson, finally. You know, he's played almost 60% of the steps now because Pac-Man's been out. But to go, in the, go into the year, you didn't feel like he had a secure 100% uh, starting job. Last year, they didn't give him the opportunity because they, they said, well, we'll take, uh, we'll take Cedric Beerman off, off of IR. It's happened with Darquez Denard where they've leaned on other guys. And it's just it's inconsistent because there are rookies that play. There are young guys that play. But when you get into the, the end of the year, and you hear this from reporters too, they're like, ah, you might see that guy when they're out of it. And the Bengals wait until they're mathematically out of it. You could tell. why. Go back to week six, week five. It didn't feel like this team was ever going to make a run in the playoffs. Even if they found a chance, found a way to go eight and eight, nine and seven, and squeaked in, they weren't going to make noise. They were out of it as soon as the season started. And it took them until two weeks left in the season to really until you felt like, okay, they're going to play some of these young guys. They're going to actually shake things up. And it took injuries. So let's not give them too much credit because they lost both their tackles. They were forced to do this, forced to finally play Christian Westerman and Alex Redman. And I thought both guys played really, really well. And it's, 
it's it's it sucks to be in the final games and find out you have assets on the team that could have helped you all year or maybe even for, for a year and a half now. Yeah, it's awful. And it happens every year. So they win and I think back and look at the, the, the game and they're six and nine now and it's a good win over a team that needed to get a victory in the Detroit Lions. And I wonder what Dave Lapham is. Why the hell did it take this long? And I think it's an indictment of Paul Alexander, the offensive line coach, the stubbornness of Marvin Lewis. And that is why I'm like so on board and I can't wait to see who else comes in because there's, and rightfully so, because he hasn't played the John Ross thing. How do we know if he wasn't good? Why should I trust Marvin made the right call there when he doesn't make the right call time and time again with some of these players? We've seen it time and time again. Why has why does he get the benefit of the doubt? I don't think he deserves it. And it's not just guys not playing and or sitting the bench or being inactive. Even when they're playing, you don't always feel like they understand how to use these guys to their fullest potential. So you know, it's a lot. I'm watching Brandon LaFell get three screen passes last week. He got. I think he caught four passes for eight yards. That's two yards per catch. I don't even know how you begin to get that without some crazy play happening. And it wasn't. They just kept feeding him screen passes, and he's not built for that. It took him how long to figure out what Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard did well, uh, that they weren't Jeremy Hill, that you don't need to run those those plays. They still run these stretch zones, even though they, they know they don't have a center that can reach the nose tackle. They know they don't have the athleticism at guard to get to the, to get, to get to the next level and block these linebackers. Um, it took them far too long to figure out what they can and can't do in the run game, on the offensive line, uh, what they still don't know what receivers they have out on the field. And it was, that was a topic of conversation all year. Uh, and I think still even on the defense, here we are, Andrew Billings, um, Pat Sims was the nose tackle coming into the year. It took an injury for him to go down. Billings played really well for the heart of the season. I thought last couple of weeks, I don't know what's going on. I know he had an injury uh, in the Vikings game and came back in, but he was pretty bad those last two weeks. So they benched him this week. And here we are, we're talking about being in the evaluation portion of the year and we need to see these young guys play. Uh, and they bench him. So I understand because he's been playing poor, but I, those are the guys I want to see play. I want to see all the young guys out there right now as much as possible. Um, we've seen Jordan Evans, and he's made some plays. He's gotten beat up at the same time, too. He's been hurt. Uh, more of these guys at safety, whether it's Josh Shaw and, and Clayton Fagellum at, at safety, the corners are playing really well right now. It, you know, I kind of stepped back from this game after they won, and it felt good to win, even though I like having the higher draft pick. But I stepped away and I said, there is more talent on this team than the coaching staff has shown us. And I, I truly believe that. This is the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Rapine. He's Joe Goodberry. He joins us every single week for our weekly Bengals film review. And, Joe, that, that's the interesting thing is, is why did it take so long? Marvin Lewis's final season, he probably knew it week seven, week eight, why not give these guys a shot? They couldn't run the ball at all, and they're still awful on offense statistically. And, and basically what we've seen, if they would have done this week seven or week eight, we might be having a different conversation right now. Yeah, and that's the crazy part is because they, you know, when you look back, you had to look at last year. And I think I, I, most people would agree the offense was the reason this team didn't go any further last year. And it was going into this year, you knew they needed speed at receiver. You knew they needed a new running back to lean on. It would have been great to get some offensive line pieces. They didn't do that. I, you know, obviously we lost two best uh, offensive linemen on the team. But it, you know, the whole offseason should have been planning on getting Ross and Mixon involved and finding a way to hide the offensive line, finding a way to get the ball out of Andy's hands quicker. Um, 
And for whatever reason, and, and maybe the blame goes on a lot of Ken Zampezi because they come out of that year this year and they aren't ready for this. They they don't realize their offensive line has gotten worse. They don't realize that their weapons are the exact same. They're not leaning on, on Joe Mixon at running back. It took way too long. It took, you know, what Mixon was probably getting the, the load at, what, week six, week seven. Mm-hmm. We didn't really see Giovanni Bernard heavily until – Hill was completely out of the picture, and it, it seemed like they had to make a concerted effort to get Giovanni Bernard the ball again. And, you know, just seeing this game yesterday or, or two days ago now, um, it reminds you how good Giovanni Bernard is and how much he can help this team. This whole, the whole season, it keeps, I keep coming back to the same thing, that they did not realize what players they had for some odd reason. That's, it's the weirdest thing. Thinking if Marvin Lewis, if this is your final year, if this is your chance to, if you wanted to continue coaching, you know, you have to pull out everything. You had to try something. They were so confident that whatever they're doing, if they just stayed the course, it would wear, it would figure itself out. That that's usually what teams do when they have a lot of talent and uh, they believe it'll just click for them. But they were missing talent in key positions and they were misusing their key talent at other positions. So. It never got turned around, and here we are now. Bengals are picking 10th as of now with one game to go. Um, with a new coaching staff, a new era about to start, hopefully we get this is the This is the part that you really, going forward, you want these players to play above. You want the coaching staff to make them better. Um, you want the guys to elevate people around them. You just you feel like you see the worst version of everybody, even it includes A.J. Green, and, and you know he's coming off two poor games, but you just – you want to see these guys play above and beyond what, what you're normally used to seeing from them. This is the Locked on Bengals podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, the iHeartRadio app, Megaphone, and pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. Joe Goodberry is our guest. Joe, let's move on here and discuss a few other things. One thing that I think was interesting, Andrew Billings, a healthy scratch what has he been? What has he shown on film? What have you seen from him? And why would you think that he would be a healthy scratch last week? That was the surprise out of uh, out of all the inactives listed right before the game. Um, and at the same time, I reflected really quick and said, you know, the last two weeks of him, he's been pretty poor. He's been getting washed out, blown off the ball. Um, and that comes with tape. You know, when when he's actually been playing for the last – six to eight weeks and playing heavy snaps, I think you start to look at the tape as the other team and say, what can we do to him? What can we do to move this guy out of the way or move him off the ball? And for whatever reason, whatever it was, I couldn't pinpoint it because it looked kind of like his knee was bothering him to me uh, because he couldn't anchor. and He wasn't going down to one leg and, and really uh, securing his spot on the field and holding on to, to two blockers the way he should. Uh, a lot of it comes together, though, because you can look bad as a defensive tackle when you've got bad linebackers behind you. In the last couple of weeks, he has. Those guys, you know, if you're going to hold that nose, if you're going to hold the, the, the center or guard and allow that linebacker to scrape over the top and freely and get to the running back, the whole defense looks better, and you can kind of um, look over a, a hand usage loss or leverage loss for the nose tackle. And in the last couple of weeks, he wasn't able to do that because the linebackers really didn't know where they were supposed to be, and they were slow to the ball. Um, so his losses looked much worse than normal. And when he was good, he was I thought he was really good. There was a few stretches, I think back to like the Titans game, where he was bench pressing guys regularly and he was flashing uh on the defensive line as much as any of the starters. And it gave hope that maybe they have their nose tackle to, of the future. And as we have one eye on the draft and the offseason, a lot of people have said, 
Um, you know, what are their bigger needs on defense? And a lot of people want a linebacker, which I would agree with. But um, I think defensive tackle is still an issue. And not only is Geno Atkins getting older with one year left on his deal, uh, but you don't know if you have a high-end player or just a solid contributor in Ryan Glasgow after his rookie year, which I think was a fine rookie year. Uh, and you don't know what you have in Andrew Billings yet. If he's your starter, he needs to still get better than what he is. Yes, he flashed. Yes, he did make some splash plays. Uh, but a nose tackle, and it's something we the coaches really talked about with Domo Tapeco, you have to be sound. You have to be in your gap. You have to be disciplined. You have to keep your eyes up and keep your vision. Keep your, keep your length so that you don't get swallowed up. Um, Billings is inconsistent in all those ways. And you want the splash plays because obviously they help your defense, but it's the routine stuff that helps out more often. And that's where Billings really needs to progress. So as of right now, I still think they need an athletic pre-tech to back up Geno Atkins. You know, if you get a guy in the, even in the first round, I'd consider it. Uh, there's a couple guys who's going to, when we get in draft talk, I know there's a couple guys there that'll be in the top 12 conversation. Um, and you could see them going in that route because Right now, they're still using a third defensive end in nickel inside, and I think if you drafted a pass rusher, that's where he would fit in and then eventually replace Atkins in a couple of years. But you also still probably need a nose tackle, and I'm not sure if that means in the first round because that's not where those guys usually go. But if you were in the third, fourth, fifth round and you see a value, uh, I think you can do that. But it takes those guys a few years. So, um, you know, I think we're still scratching the surface with Billings and Glasgow. This is Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out, the nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? Nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with MyBookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. 
Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. Support for this podcast comes from The First One with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is The First One. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. It's almost like sometimes before you even get in the industry, it's like you set up to fail. And there's so many moments where you can win, and the winning is great, but it's so many things that you go through to get to the win. And so much more who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to the next level, changed their life, overlooked to being overbooked. When I was recording the song, I already knew it was going to be a global hit. And I'm not joking, my G. I really felt it inside of me. I was like, I just can't wait to see a number one. Join me every Thursday with the first one drops only on Amazon Music. Let's go. He's Joe Goodberry. Joe, this offense, 32nd in the league in total offense. And I, I know the offensive line, but I've seen some stuff on Twitter and especially the, the ball that hit A.J. Green in the face mask. Now there's a, a narrative of A.J. Green isn't playing as well. I know you study wide receivers across the league for Bleacher Report. When you look at receiver play across the league, and you've seen every snap of A.J. Green's 2017 season. How does that compare to A.J. Green's past six years in the league? I would say this is easily his uh, his most, I don't want to say it's his worst year. It's his most down year. And he hasn't experienced too many complete losses like this. Uh, they, when he went out last year, they were still relatively you know, close to 500 before he missed that last five weeks or so. And, you know, and it really started to tailspin from there. Um, so we didn't get to see him down the stretch where the games really didn't matter. Uh, now we're seeing that. And I think it definitely has affected him. He's had concentration drops. He's had routes where there was one, um, I don't know, I can't remember if this was, it wasn't intercepted last week. It was almost intercepted. But it's a, it's basically a scissor route with two-man route off of play action. You have LaFell coming across and you've got, uh, Green coming on a deep crosser, and they almost run into each other. And now I think I've seen that about once every single week where it's either uh, Green and LaFell or it could be Green and a tight end. They almost run right directly into each other, and Green had to slow down. The ball, Andy was about to get hit, so he kind of ducked and threw it and didn't see this, and the ball sails nowhere. And just little things like that. And as I'm watching today, I'm watching the Broncos receivers, and it's the same play. And these guys just have a more awareness, more in they're they're out of it too, just as much as the Bengals are. And Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders just crisscross each other like they've done it a million times. And um, you know, it knocks off a defender, and one guy ends up free. And the Bengals just don't have that energy right now. They just they're just out of it, just a step off. And especially AJ Green, I don't know why. You know, for a guy who tracks the ball as well as anybody, especially the deep ball, and and, and a guy who's able to separate. 
in that last two or three yards as the ball's arriving, whether that's with a – he got called on a uh, push-up offensive pass interference, which that's a play he does all the time. That's a move he uses all the time. Yeah. And the one that hits him in the face mask, he's just breaking free, and as he does, he pushes himself forward. This is normally what he does. And because of it, he ended up too far, and the ball hits him in the face mask. It's a guy that never misjudges a deep ball. He, you know, he knows where it's going to land, and he gets there. That's what makes him special. And for that ball to hit him in the face, you go – you know, something's just a little bit off with him. Darius Slay is a great corner. He really is. I think he's a top-ten guy, and Green could have had a monster game against him, uh, and I wish he would have because, you know, I'm tired of uh, this year, especially with, you have to answer questions, fans a lot. You know, when I, and down year, everyone looks like they've had a bad year on paper, on offense. Um, you know, who would you really point to and say, yeah, they're, they're playing better than I expected. And I, I don't think I would point to anyone on offense. And maybe Tyler Croft, but even the last few weeks, what happened to Croft? He's dropping passes. He's, he looks like he's uh, frustrated with himself, even, even in blocking, too. So I just think it's contagious, and you would hope your best player in A.J. Green is above that. Uh, but I think it's apparent that he's not. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I do think, though, that looking at A.J., and th- there have been plenty of plays, especially – before the, I'd say the last three games where they got blown out, and then then Sundays went over Detroit. Where and you know this, Andy's missed AJ a ton. Like he's just oh, yeah. got he just got over a thousand yards. In that number, not defending AJ or, or going at Andy at all, but if he hits AJ, keep, keeps a couple of those inbounds, he's still probably looking at a, a 1,300, 1,400-yard season. Oh, definitely. It just look at the last week. Um, there was one deep ball that gets picked off, and I think it was offsides. Um, but that ball is inside and to the back of the end zone. It didn't really, and, and on the arc of it, really doesn't give Green a chance to come back and get inside and moss Darius Slay, if you will. Uh, and then there was another deep ball, and even the announcer said it was it was short. But he's got the safety to the inside. He's beat him. He's beat Slay down, down the left sideline, and that ball lands too short. That was a potential touchdown. There's been a lot of deep passes to Green um, that aren't there. And, you know, there's a lot of plays or you can't go to green because of the other receivers. It's all year. It's been two years in a row now. He should be getting frustrated at this point with how much defensive attention he receives and how the offense will go away from him if the defense shows that they're going to lean his way. It, like we talk about all the time, the Bengals offense is very, very, very focused on that pre-snap read. Um, and if a defense shows they're going to lean a safety that way, if they show they're going to back out that that linebacker to the side that the, you know he'll cover the short area, the, the corner will cover to the boundary and in the intermediate, and the safety will have the inside and deep. Um, if they show that pre-snap, the Bengals don't force the ball to Green. They really aren't a lot this year. They, they've remember in the first four or five years they would just have YOLO balls to AJ Green. We'd say it all the time. Yep. They didn't care. They'd throw it up to him, and he would go make a crazy catch, and we'd go oh go crazy, and the entire offense would get, get a spark from it and get excited from it. You don't see that too often. I'm thinking back to the Texans week two, where he had to jump over three guys on a crossing route to make a crazy catch, and that's about it really this mm-hmm. year. And you know, it kind of makes the perception of Green that he's worse because he hasn't made the. You know, you would always get five crazy catches for the one drop or fumble that he would have, and you were okay with it. Now that we're not getting the crazy catches because they're not giving him crazy situations, those drops and those fumbles stand out, and it looks like as if he's having a, a down year. I think his opportunities are down. I think his help is down from the guys around him. Um, I think some of the plays he catches look so routine, we've gotten so used to it. Whether it's a ball that he's got to lean back for or adjust at the last second and get his feet in. I'm watching other receivers, and it's not normal. It's not routine for everyone else. It's routine for A.J. Green. I think we've gotten very used to it. 
He's Joe Goodberry. It's our weekly Bengals film review. Last question for you, Joe. Why, and I repeat, why can't the Bengals find a way, because I know you agree with this, to get Giovanni Bernard and Joe Mixon in the backfield at the same time? I'm looking around the league because people have said that. Uh, or, or on you know, the field all, at the same your, time. Right. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be in the backfield together. That's the two questions then, really, because in having them in the backfield together doesn't happen too often around the league. As you, as you, as you watch, it's not something a lot of teams do um, for whatever reason, because you've got to think you're taking out either a tight end or a third receiver if you're going to do that. And I think if you're going to throw the ball out of that, you want to have that extra receiver. If you're going to run out of it, you want to have the tight end the block. So it becomes, in most opportunities, you're not putting your best players out there. For the Bengals, it's probably in their in their best interest to have two Giovanni Bernard, Joe Mixon out there because they're two of your better players, if not two of your three best weapons on offense right now. So that question comes up a little bit more for Bengals fans. And I get it. And especially if you watched Joe Mixon at Oklahoma last year and then the, the previous year to that, too. Him and Samaj P. Ryan were in the backfield a ton together. Well, P. Ryan's more of a bowling ball type, and you can have him go and block and have Mixon cut off of him. And that works in college in, in a wide-open conference the way they do it. Um, but on the field together, that's the one mystery about Mixon this year, too, is they have not split him out wide and run routes with him. I remember a screen in the preseason game, um, and since then I haven't seen him run really a route that wasn't just a decoy route or just going out there to draw a linebacker away. Um, I haven't seen him run a route like he did in college yet this year. And I, it's crazy to me that he's got 29 catches, I want to say. Leonard Fournette has more. There's a bunch of guys that have more receptions than, than Joe Mixon. It's a part of this offense that should have been featured from the go. And um, to think that, you know, they didn't use Geo enough at all and they didn't use Mixon correctly all year, that's one of the biggest mysteries on offense altogether. And, you know, it's right up there with how don't you find a way to use John Ross. Mixon was just as dynamic as a receiver as, as Christian McCaffrey. And you see McCaffrey get seven catches a game. If you're playing fantasy, you're living off those receptions for McCaffrey if he's on your team. It's not the same for Mixon right now. And whatever coordinator comes in here next year, whatever head coach comes in here next year, it reminds me a lot of how Fisher, Jeff Fisher, uh, limited Todd Gurley's production. And you see Gurley now, and he'll have 120 yards receiving, breaking off 80-yard receptions on a screen. Um, that's Joe Mixon, and it's coming. And I just think that, you know, if they get the right guy, and if they hire the right guy in offense, there's so much untapped potential, I think, with Mixon still to, to the point where in two or three years, he could be the best offensive player they have on the team, and the offense will probably flow through him. And, you know, I still think he's Le'Veon Bell in the making. And uh, I know that that comparison has been thrown around a lot, and also giving him some, you know, uh, maybe negative press with Le'Veon Bell. But I think it's real, and I think that's where this offense is heading. So I, I think we should keep that in mind when we're looking at potential candidates. I completely agree. I complete. I, I said that on, I, I believe it was Thursday or Friday's podcast. It was pretty simple. That that's the blueprint. You, you know, if you get a an you get the offense right, this defense clearly has enough talent and potential. And uh, before I let you go, uh, I, I do have to ask you, William Jackson the third star showing up on film as good as he does on on game day, at least from what I've seen. Even better on film, I, and I think that's why. Offenses aren't throwing at him. They watch the film and they're looking at it and going, I am not throwing towards that guy. Even when you're open, he f somehow 
finds a way to get a hand in there and break it up. There was two balls that should have been caught against them uh, on Sunday. He found a way to make both of them contested, make both of them way harder than they should have been, get a hand, bump an elbow, whatever he's got to do to the receiver to get him to drop the ball. And they did. It was he was targeted three times. All three were contested. I think he had two breakups. I think on the stat sheet he went up with one. He ended up with one. But yeah, he's on guys, and he he does lose sometimes, especially in transition, because he's a long leggy guy with you know not the agility you'd really want out of a out of a number one corner. But what he does to make up for it is his ball skills and his length and his awareness. And he is so calm when the ball's in the air. He'll lose on that initial break, but he recovers and reacts so quickly that if you're going to test that ball, you're going to throw it to him. You better be throwing with a number one receiver um, that he's covering because he may have better ball skills. He may better have better have, he may have better reaction time than an average receiver going against him. And I think you saw that a bunch. There was times when they wanted Marvin Jones uh, to be featured for the Lions, they went over and put him on Kirkpatrick's side. When they wanted Golden Tate, they put him in the slot. And even Dark West and Hart didn't give up much to Tate either. So I think that's why the Lions struggled as much as they did. Is they knew they couldn't get the they they couldn't get the ball to the left side against um, William Jackson. They couldn't get it into the slot against Denard. It was their best chance was to throw it against Kirkpatrick. And they got one deep call and a couple other that looked like they uh, they could have uh, had more opportunities on film. But that was basically their – that's how this defense is going to be built now. It's going to be built off William Jackson and this pass rush. In two years, it might be Carl Lawson and William Jackson and, and whoever else is out there because those are – that's how you're going to build. You're going to build and say, we can cover guys man-to-man and we can cover for more than two and a half seconds now. And because of it um, – you know, that changes your defense a lot. And they haven't had that. They've had good corners. They haven't had a true shutdown number one type. And and I go back and I'm looking at uh, Jackson in college. Jackson can play both sides. And that's enticing for me because the Bengals traditionally like a left corner and right corner um, because guys look better at one spot or the other. Kirkpatrick, that's the spot he played at Alabama that he's playing now. Um, He really hasn't moved all around. Jackson has, and Jackson can. And it's interesting to me if they, the next guy comes in and says, okay, we can build off him being our right corner where he's a lockdown, shutdown guy, or we can have him shadow and start following number one receivers. And if he does that and he can continue his play at that level, um, that, that makes your defense scary. He's Joe Goodberry. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Joe, I appreciate the time as always. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, James. That's Joe Goodberry. I'm James Erpine. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's Locked On Bengals podcast. A ton to get to this week. You'll hear from Paul Daner Jr. of the Enquirer on tomorrow's podcast, along with a bunch of other things between now and the end of the week. I'll be at Paul Brown Stadium. And then after Sunday, it's all systems go. Offseason, NFL draft, head coaches. We'll dive into it because the offseason... Well, it's going to be a blast here at Locked On Bengals, so make sure you tune in, subscribe, iTunes, the iHeartRadio app, Megaphone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, check out LockedOnBengals.com. Until tomorrow, I'm James Erpine. Thank you so much for listening to the Locked On Bengals podcast. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wildcard exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, 
every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.